0: We are in Luke's Gospel, chapter 10. I'm going to read verses 25 through 29. So hear God's word this morning. And behold, a lawyer stood up and put him, Jesus, to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He, Jesus, said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And the lawyer answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. But he desiring to justify himself said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? This is the word of the Lord. You can have a seat. Well, let me add a good morning to you as well. Uh, my name is Tim, and I serve as one of the pastors here. It's good to have uh, have you with us this morning. And if you have a Bible, uh, you can turn it to Luke 10. That's where we'll be uh, this morning. And so I want to pray for us, and then we'll jump into uh, the story Andrew read. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we, we open your word every week just to hear you speak into our lives. Um, your word is truth, and it can... Uh, I can change, change our lives, our hearts. And so, Spirit, be at work in us as we open your word. We pray in Jesus' name, <clears throat> amen. Whenever you move, which I've done a few times now in my life, uh, one of the first questions that you're going to ask is, who is my neighbor? And so when we started looking at the house we're at now, uh, the, like, every time we went and saw it, the, the people who were across the street from us were, like, selling things out of their front yard. It was like they had a store set up in their front yard with just random, random things. And every time we visited there, it's like, you know, we just we didn't really care because we were kind of more focused on why we liked the house. Uh, but it was just sort of a, you know, it was like, how much do they do this? Uh, this, feels, this feels like a lot. Uh, and so finally the day came for us to move in uh, to our, the house we live in now. And as we're moving in, a friend of mine, uh, who I'm so bummed he's not here today because he's he's in two illustrations. But Jeff Boss, he's helping us move in. Uh, he attends here. He comes up to me and he's like, he's like, I'm pretty sure I bought something across the street at that house like five years ago. I've th- I've been here before. And at that point, it's like, oh cool, I've moved across from uh, Craigslist, right? Not not the website, like the house Craigslist. And ever since, like they sell stuff. I mean, we just we are across the street from a a business, essentially. And they're great people. Like we, I'm pretty laid back, so I don't care about that stuff. But I mean, literally, if you come to my house, there's something for sale across the street if you need anything. Just heads up. Uh, but that, like the, the first question you ask when you move, who is who's my neighbor? Um, that question matters. And as, as we continue our series this morning, Church for Monday, you, you know, we sort of, from the beginning part of the series, we're kind of looking at what it means to follow Jesus, like individually or within the church. In the last three weeks of this series, we're going to turn outward and look at, like, what does a disciple of Jesus do, how do we live as a follower of Jesus in in the city, right, in our culture, in our community, in our neighborhood? And really, like, there's not a better question to start that conversation than this question, who is my neighbor? Right, better than, like, some deep look at... Like, how should Christians interact with politics? Or what's our view of Christians and culture and movies? And all of like, those really interesting questions. Really, it's like the beginning point for any way we interact with the world around us. It starts with this question, who is my neighbor? It's hard to imagine a more relevant Monday question than that. <clears throat> but there's a problem with the question. And the context sort of sets that up for us. Which this question, "Who is my neighbor?" It sounds like a nice question, but it's it's actually not. It's not a particularly nice question. And when Andrew read the last verse, he read when Luke introduces the question, he says that this guy, he says, but he, uh, this person asking the question, but he, desiring to justify himself, which is not a positive phrase, said to Jesus, "Who is my neighbor?" And if you're like, the question was asked, because the question started with, what do I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, well, love God, love your neighbor. And the guy's like, okay, love God, I got that piece down. But the second piece I'm unclear on, and so he asked this question, who's my neighbor? Which, when you think about what he's asking, is actually not a particularly nice question. Right? If he's, okay, you have to get eternal life, you have to love your neighbor. So the guy doesn't ask, what does that look like? Or... How do you love your neighbor? He asks, who is my neighbor? Which is another way of asking, who is not my neighbor? Who do I not have to love? Right, who's exempt from this command of the scriptures? Right, all the scriptures are love God, love your neighbor. Okay, so who's my neighbor? Which is really asking, who isn't my neighbor? And So Jesus tells a story. It's a story it's well known. You probably know it. We didn't read it because we don't want you to start going down that like, well, I already know what this is. I've already heard the story. Don't go there yet. Try to unremember the story as best you can. Um, but I think what the story shows is better than anything else, a really good starting place for how we as Christians are to operate, people who follow Jesus, in the city in which we live, in the culture in which we live, in the community in which we live. And the question isn't who is my neighbor, and Jesus does sort of this classic, he's, he, he's asked one question, so he answers another question. Right? He's asked, who's my neighbor? And he answers the question, "Well, what's a good neighbor? And he's going to lay out what a good neighbor is. Like what, someone who actually embodies the commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. He details what that person looks like. And so here's what happens in the story. Right? The guy says, okay, Jesus, so who do I not have to love? Here's what Jesus says. he had compassion. So there's one difference between what, who would Jesus define as like a good neighbor and someone who's not loving their neighbor as their self, and that is compassion. Right? The priest, of the Levite, they see the guy half dead on the side of the road, and they step over him. The, the Samaritan sees him and has, has compassion. And that, that shouldn't be surprising because Jesus is often, this word compassion is often used to describe Jesus and his posture and attitude towards the people around him. So in Matthew 9, 36, Jesus, he's around a bunch of crowds. It's actually the the people who will one day crucify him. He's around these people. And Matthew writes this about Jesus. He says, when he saw, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So Jesus looks at a world that is is lost, is mistaken, is broken, is, is not interested in the things of God. And his response is compassion for them. Later in Matthew's Gospel, there's two blind men who approach Jesus. Again, people were always around Jesus. They were always interested in Jesus. So he's, he's surrounded by people. Two blind men approach Jesus, ask him for healing. And we read that, that Jesus, in compassion, touched their eyes and immediately they were covered. Their sight and followed him. And what's fast like, Jesus doesn't just say, Be healed, go away. He, stop, he actually physically touches them, which is one of the like most premier signs of compassion is when you put your hand on someone else in love or concern. He touches the men's eyes. He heals them in compassion. Or in Luke's Gospel, in Luke chapter 7, Jesus is going into this town, and as he's going into the town, a mourning party is coming out, and it's the mother in, who's mourning the death of her. Her son, and the whole town is kind of gathered around this moment of this, this widow who's grieving her son's death, and here's what we read about Jesus' reaction. as he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord, when Jesus saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, "Do not weep." And then Luke, who himself was a medical doctor, so like, you know, this is, he's just making this up. Uh, he says that Jesus raised this young man from the dead, which is I mean, it's a powerful story. But the, the key thing is, again, Jesus, he sees someone, and he, like, he just, he just has, he slows down, he has compassion, right? He, he sees. And so that's why, like, when you think about this story, Luke 10, Jesus answering the question, how do you love your neighbor, it shouldn't surprise us that he begins with saying there were two people who, didn't, who did not have compassion, and there was one who did. The question uh, Jesus wants to answer is not, who is my neighbor? Who do I not have to love? The question is, what, uh, what, what's a good neighbor? And first, a good neighbor is someone who has a compassionate heart. Right? And when it comes to our Monday life, like, it's so easy for us to lose compassion with the people we work with, with the people we live with with the city and the culture in which we live, which is, is, just sees the world very differently than us. It's very easy to begin to lose our compassion. And even worse than that, we live in a, in a, in a society that rewards a lack of compassion. Right? You know, the, the stupid memes that go on, on social media, which is, watch this person own this other person. Right? This is like these argumental like things on video. Like, we, we, we love seeing people get destroyed. On, like, there's no compassion anymore. Or beyond that, if someone has an op- excuse me, an opposite politics of you, or is in a different socioeconomic class, like there's all sorts of like uh, encouragement to to look at people in ways that lack compassion, to see other people in extremes, unworthy of our compassion or our our grace. And what's saddest for me is like I see plenty of examples online or in our media today of Christians who take the bait and live lives that are not marked by compassion. And yet Jesus says, if you live in my way, if you want to love God and love your neighbor as yourself, it starts by being a compassionate person. And there's, there's just no way we can underestimate the shock, the confusion, the, just what it would have felt like to these people Jesus is speaking to when he, when he sets up the story so that a Samaritan was the hero. Because when the guy asked the question, who's my neighbor? Who do I not have to love? Immediately, like, Samaritans would have been in that category. And for lots of reasons. There was racial animosity. There was just lots of history, bad blood there between Jewish people and Samaritan people. And so Jesus, just like, you could tell, he's, the guy asking the question, Jesus like, All right, I'm going to pick the guy that you hate the most. And I'm going I'm to rub it in your face a little bit and make, make him the hero and make you think about the fact that there are people you are not seeing as your neighbor, and reading the story this week, I just wondered, like, how much, how much we as Christians uh, fall into that same reality, where we have, right, we create a category of of not our neighbor, people we don't have to love, people we don't have to have compassion towards. Because what Jesus is doing is saying, you, you can't do that. Right, the question, "Who's my neighbor?" That's a wrong question because the moment you ask it, the moment you're assuming there are people you don't have to love. There are people that the commandment of the Old Testament, "Love God, love neighbor as yourself," there are people that doesn't apply to. And Jesus is saying, "No, the very person you don't think it applies to, it applies to that person." And compassion it doesn't mean that that as we we live in a world where people like see the world very differently than us. Compassion doesn't mean you agree with everyone, or that you roll over and you never speak truth or you don't have like a, a Jesus way of viewing the world. What it does mean is, like Jesus, we our our first reaction to this world is compassion, right? It's sheep without a shepherd. It's a broken place. It's de- there's so many things deeply wrong here, and our first reaction is this is not the way things are supposed to be. Compassion is where we start. And when I first uh, started thinking about planning this campus, you know, we were in Olathe. <clears throat> we thought maybe we might want to go north, and so we, we looked around Shawnee. Like, what's Shawnee like? What's What's this area up here? And what I found just immediately interesting as I talked to city leaders was Shawnee, what's interesting, or one of the interesting things here is there's a lot of uh, low-income or Section 8 housing in Shawnee. Most of that housing in Johnson County is here in our community, and we're actually on 75th Street. Like We're in the midst of that here in this physical location. And a lot of those folks, um, as I've gotten to know, some of them... A lot of them are here. They work two to three jobs. They're they're here uh, for the economic opportunities. There's more jobs in Johnson County than in other parts of our city. They're here because Shawnee Mission School is a good school district, and so they want they want their kids to have a good education. And yet, as I talk to people within this city um, about those apartment complexes, those people, oftentimes uh, there wasn't a lot of compassion. I'll, I'll say that. Even there was one apartment complex in, in particular that's sort of well-known within Shawnee, uh, it's Cottonwood Park, and I heard multiple people refer to it as, as Cotton Hood, not Cottonwood, um, from, like, city leaders who, like, those are, you know, those are people in your, like, in your city. And when I, when I when I've thought about that dynamic or the place in which, which we live, it's, it's just real, it's interesting. That on one side of Shawnee is one of the wealthiest parts of Johnson County, and across the street is some of the, the most economically disadvantaged parts of our city and I've always wondered from the beginning as a church what does that mean for us and about a year ago uh, Axiom Properties a apartment complex group that actually owns many of the apartment complexes around Shawnee uh, they called us they called me as a church and said would your church have any interest in just building relationships at one of the apartment complexes around Shawnee and the person who called me actually goes to our Leewood campus his name is Steve Brown and Axiom Properties is a really fascinating business where they, uh, I mean, their essential business model is they find apartment complexes that are run down, not very well taken care of, that are for, uh, you know, lower income people, and they go in and they they rehab those places. They make them look nice. They provide good, affordable housing to people. And as a company run by Christians, um, even though they wouldn't like wave that flag, super aggressively, they're run by Christians. They come from a Christian frame of mind, and their desire is to give like a dignifying place of work to all people. and And they called uh, they called me and said, what like how could you help? Uh, partner in particular with this Cottonwood Park uh, apartment um, complex and so what we did last year we just had like three cookouts out there it was super simple super easy just got to know folks uh, uh, just got to know people who are within our, our our city and and Steve Brown who we're going to watch a video of in a second he did all the heavy lifting um, and he's an incredible guy and what we wanted to do is, is kind of show across campuses this morning just a look into how he, uh, compassion enters into his Monday uh, work so take a look at this video.
1: Six years ago, a good buddy of mine, uh, John Emanuels, who's partnered, asked me if if, uh, I'd be willing to come over and help set up a company for them. I had no idea how to do that, uh, but we jumped in together after the holidays, and uh, six months later, in July of 2013, launched an entity called Axiom Property Management. The thought of starting this wasn't just so much uh, for But to do it in a way that would be God-honored. And uh, to have an opportunity to um, impact uh, the residents, which the property that we own, and um, the associates that work for us. Yeah, I think if you had asked me you know, seven years ago uh, who to pray for at work, I might have struggled thinking through who to pray for. Well, I can write off a list of 40 people now. that we take over are uh, that are older, they've been neglected often by the owners. So all that I think is part of just filling back some of the darkness too, just in the sense of taking a property that is neglected and making it better, so that the community around that property also sees a little bit of Godlight as well. Last spring I was over here and we had a, a young high school student <coughs> commit suicide. And when I left the property, I just thought, man, this is just this is a lot of darkness here. And uh, I didn't know where, I, am. I knew we had a campus in Shawnee. And so I reached out to the campus pastor and just wanted to know if there's any way that um, there could be some partnership. And then took a drive to look at the campuses that we, that the properties that we own in the Shawnee area. And just to dream a little bit about what. That partnership could look like. From that, uh, we made a decision uh, for the summer to uh, to do several cookouts. We felt that uh, this would be a great way to to make a difference at the property. Would be to let's just serve some meals. There's no agenda. There's no nothing other than we're going to set up and serve for you and uh, have uh, a chance for you to uh, get to know us and for Christ to come on to the the property and begin to develop some relationships. Again, you look at the Shawnee area and you guys, where we're at. I mean, there's some you wouldn't perceive, but there's new. It's just the same slow from one of the So it just was to me just a guideline in terms of uh that call, what you had to share with like three yeah. I
0: don't think that's just by happenstance. I'm sure that that planet hard to monitor certainly. Yeah, Steve Stees is an amazing uh guy and embodies to me so much. Like of what a Christian should look like, which is seeing a place not as a and people not as like a punchline, but as like a part of our community. And you know, coming ahead this year, we're just going to continue to do Friday night cookouts. We don't, you know, we don't get over our skis. It's just we're trying to get to know folks uh, over there now. And if you want to be a part of that, we'd love to have uh, love to have more help. Again, it's there's no agenda. We just we cook food, we hang out, we talk to people, we put a basketball goal up, shoot baskets. That's it. And there are some amazing people. Um, there that we've gotten to meet and get to know over the course of that process. And so if you, in any way, want to jump in with that, let me know. I'd love to talk to you about that. It's like my boys, it's like the favorite thing they've done in the last year is going and hanging out uh, in, to, in those cookouts. Um, and so, yeah, Steve, Steve uh, it's compassion, right? His He sees a place and his, his reaction is compassion, actually in properties, as a business, right, that makes money and, and you know, it's hiring more and more people, yet still operates from a place... Of of compassion, and let's just like let's just shoot straight with uh, you know with each other for a minute. Which is we which is we do not live in a compassionate society, and we all that's a, that's a problem for every one of us, me included. And we do the same thing that that's happening in Luke ten, which is we create a group of people or we create you know, anyone that, that we, we move into the not-neighbor category that we don't have to love, right? That, you know, I don't, I don't have to be around that person, right? I'm, I'm too good to be near. Like, I, I don't have to forgive that person. I don't have to be around that person. We all have that list. And the more, the moment you have that list, right, you, there's a problem, and the moment you have that list, it's just going to grow, and there's going to be more people you slide into those categories, right, that, that, you, that you move into. I don't have to love them, right? I'm, I'm exempt. They're not a part of love God, love your, your neighbor, if, you know, if I say anything, it's like just don't lose your compassion. Stay with Jesus. Stay in the way of Jesus, and you you will have a compassionate heart. That's where Jesus starts with this guy, but then he continues. Uh, here's what happens. Happens next after the Samaritan sees this man and has compassion on him, So he went to him and bound up his wounds. Lost my place there. There we go. Pouring on oil and wine. Then he set, uh, set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii, and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, "Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back." So this is where, at least for me, like like having compassion is one thing, right? Feeling moved to help someone's one thing, but it's like, can I actually help, right? And that's oh, that's where we all maybe get stuck. Like, what do I? How can I actually? Help, And I, the, I think the moment that comes to mind, so this is the Jeff Boss story number two of the morning. Uh, I'm so bummed he's not here. But when we were on the, the first plane uh, to China, first trip to China, during the flight, they came over the, the loudspeaker and said, if there's a medical professional here, uh, we need your help. A passenger needs your help, essentially. And I so badly wanted to help, right? It's like, well, I'm a pastor. I can pray, maybe heal, you know, I don't know. We, like, I so wanted to help, but I couldn't because I have no medical training whatsoever. I could pretend to be a doctor pretty good, I think, but that wouldn't get me very far. And I just, like, I wanted to help, but I couldn't. Um, whereas Jeff Boss, he popped. He's a, mer- a paramedic. He popped up. He ran, you know, and, and then helped this this person. I always give him a hard time saying he saved that person's life. And we were, it was really, I think, someone was just tired or something. I don't know what was. It wasn't a big deal. Whatever it was, and uh, but I wanted to help, but but couldn't. And I think a lot of times, uh, you know, many of us in this room, like, we have compassion. We don't we don't know how to help, and we certainly don't want to help in a way that's not actually helpful, right? There's there's nothing uh, less helpful than compassion with a means that actually doesn't help people. And so uh, I actually think this isn't as complicated as we make it. And, and here, the, there was a, a book called The Tipping Point by Malcolm Gladwell. And he tells a story in that book of uh, Princeton uh, psychologists who created this, like the scenario, basically this test where they, they would have seminarians prepare a biblical talk, some of whom even prepared to talk on the story of the Good Samaritan. And then on the midst of going to give that talk, they would run into a man slumped in an alley, uh, head down, eyes closed, you know, coughing, groaning, in clear pain. And they, these, these psychologists uh, wanted to know, what what are these seminarians going to do? And a seminarian training to be a pastor, training to be a th- theologian. So they're just curious, what are these, like, future pastors going to do? Are they actually going to do the, you know, the Good Samaritan story? But here's what they did. This is really interesting. So as they send these, guys, these people out, uh, you know, so you've got you to prepare a talk, you've got to go give it. To half the people, they told them, uh, hey, you gotta, you've got to go now, you're late, you're already late. You need to get there quickly um, and go. And so they would leave thinking they're, they're, they're running late. And then the other group of people, they said, you know, why don't you go ahead and go? You actually you have plenty of time, but why don't you get there early? That way you have time to set up and make sure everything's, you know, the way it should be. And so they send out these pastors, theologians saying, one, uh, you're late. The other, hey, you're early. You know, you got plenty of time. And here's the, the conclusion of the study. Uh, indeed, on several occasions, a seminary student going to give his talk on the parable of the Good Samaritan literally stepped over the victim as he hurried on this way. The only thing that really mattered was whether the student was in a rush. Of the group that was, 10% stopped to help. Of the group who knew they had a few minutes to help, 63% stopped. I'm going to take this in a direction you probably didn't expect, which is, like the Good Samaritan, also, the thing he had wasn't probably medical training, he had time, right? Or he was willing to be late to whatever the next thing was. And so a good neighbor doesn't just have compassion at heart. A good neighbor has open hands and one of the things that you have with your open hands is your time, is your calendar. That many of us, we don't have time to love our neighbor, right? I mean, how many of us, we feel like we're always a couple minutes late. We're always running to the next thing. We are always a couple steps behind. And, and Judith Shulovich, she wrote a book on... The idea of Sabbath, right, which is a Sabbath is not being rushed. It's living a life of rest, even a very busy life, but a life of rest. And she had this line in, the, in her book, which is I've been thinking about a lot this week. She said, ethics, ethics become a luxury as we get sped up. In other words, the more rushed you live, the worse you live. Right? And is there any question that we are sped up as a culture? Right? And our... Our calendars are full of things. I mean, just think, how many night commitments do you have this week? Work, family, kids, just life. And as we get sped up, we lose compassion. A lot of our probably empathy, compassion problem is, is a time problem. And if there's a lot on your plate and you're always late to the next thing, the first thing that's going to be sacrificed in that lifestyle is compassion. And so, my, listen, one thing do, to do out of this sermon practical next step just start auditing your calendar and schedule yourself with margin with lots of free time say no to things leave open space it means you will have to do less it means you will not have, you will not like buy into the cultural idea that if your kids don't have an activity like, you know once or twice a week they're falling behind other kids they're not I don't know who created that idea um, but it's like we believe it and so we schedule ourselves and we don't have time to love our neighbors. That Loving your neighbor, according to Jesus, you need margin. Like that's the, f- the, f- the thing that Samaritan has to offer is not a medical degree, it's margin. Margin with time. Margin with finances. Right? I mean, how many of us today, if we ran into someone, could pay their hotel bill for a week, pay their medical bills, get them a first aid kit? Right? We live with that sort of margin so that when need is, is introduced into us, we can, we can provide. Because we live with margin. We live with open space, either with our time or with our finances. And so life in the way of Jesus is not just about having compassion, right? It's not just about having good ideas or good motives. It's actually having margin to help, whether financially or with your your calendar. And yet, um, this all sounds great, and yet this is hard for us. In fact, that's how the story ends. The story basically ends with the guy telling Jesus, yeah, I'm not going to do that. So here's what, here's what happens. Here's how it ends, verse 36. So Jesus finishes telling the story. He says, all right, which of these three, the priest, the Levite, the Samaritan, which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, you go and do likewise. This is, this is an interesting moment because, like, the guy cannot say, uh, the Samaritan was the good. the good He can't do it because he doesn't love Samaritans. He doesn't love his neighbor. And he's refusing to love his neighbor in that moment by not naming right, the, the one who showed him mercy. He can't say the Samaritan did good. And reading this story and thinking this story out, there's, listen, there's really only two ways to live your life. One way is, is very, it's close-handed. Right? Too little time, too little money, no margin to help. A decreasing capacity for compassion for those that you don't have time for. No mercy for those who are different from you or who you don't like. When the category of the people who you don't think you have to love grows larger and larger and larger and starts including more and more people. And so we step right over them in their time in need. Or even worse, we look at, at people as other. right? We, we look at them with disdain. We think, I don't hang around people like that. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be near people like that. Close-handed li- living, it, it shrinks us. It causes us to, to lose what Jesus said is the starting place of fulfilling the second commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's compassion. The other way to live, the way of Jesus, is a way of, of open-handedness, right? It's generosity. That a good neighbor doesn't just have open hands, uh, has a generous heart. That you always have something to give. There's always... Your, your hands are never empty. There's something there. Even if you can't provide like specific medical training for someone on the side of the road who needs bandage, you have time, you have money, you have you have the space to think through how to care for them them well. And here's the deal. Like it's easy to say, yeah, you're right, that's good, that's good stuff. But think like think this out. Your Monday life, the categories of your Monday life, how it's so easy to increasingly become close-handed and turn in on yourself and lose the compassion and love for your neighbor. And I did that this week. I thought through, okay, work, home, uh, and and city, the culture in which I live. And in the first place, work, you know, my personality bent is is I like to do things myself. Like, it's really hard for me to give things away to other people because, like, I have very specific designs about how I want things accomplished. And if if people aren't going to meet my supposed standards, it's like, well, I'll just do it myself. And that's a terrible way to live life. It's actually a terrible way to be a pastor because the whole point of like, my calling as a pastor is to like, give other people things and empower them to go and serve God in their, their gifting. So it's a really bad thing. And so I've been, It's something I've been working on and I sent an email to one of my, my mentors and just he said, hey, I'm thinking about delegation and how to like, hand off work better to other people. So you know, do you have a good book to read on that? And he sent me back. It was, just, it was like one sentence of an email and it was just like he took an arrow and shot me right in the heart. But he's like, delegation isn't a mind issue, it's a heart issue. Basically saying like if you love people, you'll you'll delegate well. Right? Like it's a love for neighbor issue. It's not a skill issue. It's not a skill you can develop. It's do you love your neighbor? Do you want them to succeed? Do you want to do you wanna see them flourish in what you're giving off to them? And so even in my even in my work, right, my the standards I have for myself, it's I can begin to look at other people and say, Oh, they don't meet my standards. They're not doing the work that I think that right. And I begin to be close-handed and turned in on my myself. Or I think about home. Like, listen, the calendar thing, the reason why I went there this morning is I've been thinking a lot about this. A lot of times, the reason why I don't love my family well, I don't love my family as my neighbors, is because I scheduled meetings from 6 a.m. to 4 p.m. I got 10 hours of meeting, and there's, after 10 hours of meetings, I'm not loving anybody, right? Like, there's nobody who I'm going to show any compassion or kindness to. Just lock me in a hole somewhere until I sleep it off, right? That's, and yet I do that. And so I I go home and I've got nothing left. And my my you know, my wife who needs my support in that moment, I already didn't love her by the way I scheduled my day. No margin, no space, and, and when it came time to give her what she needed for me, I didn't have it. Or I think about like our city and our, our culture and we're gonna talk more about this in the year to come in different places, but at least for me, like my seat on the bus, I think increasingly being an Orthodox Christian in this culture is going to be very difficult. That uh, the broader culture institutions in our, our world today look with great suspicion on Christianity and people who practice Orthodox Christian faith. And it's really easy as I see those spirits and those attitudes turning towards the church for me to begin to feel the same way back towards those people. People who look at the way the Christians view the world and see us with great disdain or, or speak very neg- negatively of us or want to remove us from the public square, which I, again, we'll talk more about that in the, the months, but it's so easy for me to then begin to get, uh, to get angry, right, to lack compassion and to, th- to not see the world G- the way Jesus saw the world, which is at a place, sheep without a shepherd, which would be all of us without Jesus. That the only way to live uh, the generous heart with open hands with a compassionate heart is is uh, is to be with Jesus, right? To live life in the way of Jesus, and the only way you're going to ever live life in the way of Jesus is if you've encountered His compassion. I think a lot of us we're short in compassion because we like we're, we've never like God is we haven't tasted the compassion of God. Yeah, and so the, you know, Luke, Luke has two most famous parables, the Good Samaritan and the story of the prodigal son, which the story of the prodigal son, is it's a metaphor for all of us, for every, every person, every human being, which is that all of us, we sort of, we left God the Father, right? We weren't interested in Him, we wanted to live our own way, we wanted to use our resources to our end, we wanted to live how we wanted to live, and then we find that like, that's not much fun. And that leaves us alone. It leaves us broken. It leaves us uh, full of shame and guilt. And so in the parable, this guy, he's, he's literally he's eating next to pigs. And as he's eating next to pigs, he's like, maybe I can go back and, and live in my father's house as a slave. Maybe. It's just, so he figures out, okay, that's what I'm going to go ask for my dad. Let me be a slave here. And as he's returning home, as Jesus tells the story in Luke 15, here's, what, here's how Jesus depicts the scene as this son, or read me or you, all of us, when we we leave our life of selfishness and self-centeredness, as we leave that life behind and as we return to God the Father, this is God the Father's reaction back towards us. While the son, while the daughter was still a long way off, his father saw him and had compassion. Same word. And he ran and embraced him and kissed him. How many of you have seen a father like run full steam ahead to embrace their their child that just did something really bad? And yet, that's what God the Father is like. He has compassion towards us. And until you let God the Father run you down, hug you, embrace you, kiss you, welcome you back into his family, of course you're gonna live close-handed, right? Without compassion, without generosity. And yet, on the flip side, if you have, if you have tasted that compassion, if you, are a, if you are in the way of Jesus, if you have believed the gospel, how could you ever not show compassion to anyone? Like, we, we should never ask the question to God, is that person my neighbor? Do I have to love them? To ask that question is to completely reject everything God did in coming off his porch, running you down, embracing you, and showing you compassion. That if you live in the way of Jesus... You live open-handed, always ready to give, eyes compassionate like our fathers, and hearts generous with always something to give. Let's pray. Father, we, we come to you now to, to taste your, your compassion, your gospel. And I pray as we, as we sing, as we take communion, as we, we move towards the end of this service, God, there are things that words just can't do. Your spirit has to do in us. And so we want to be a compassionate people. God, make us that. By giving us a taste of your compassion towards us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.